Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Decouple Podcast, where we explore the science and technologies that can decouple human well-being from its ecological impacts, and the politics that can make decoupling possible. Welcome back to Decouple. Today, I'm joined by His Excellency Mohammed Al Hamadi. Uh, His Excellency is the Managing Director and CEO of the Emirates Nuclear Energy Corporation. Um, which he has led successfully in delivering the UAE's peaceful nuclear energy program. Uh, Mohammed is also the president of the World Association of Nuclear Operators, which is, I think, a huge honor, uh, particularly for a nation which is so brand new into the nuclear scene. Um, very, very excited to have you on, um, Mohammed. Uh, it's a real honor. Um, you have just broken your fast. It's the holy month of Ramadan. Um, so thank you so much for making time for us during this special time of the year. Uh, thank you, Chris. A pleasure and honor to uh, to be, be with you in this uh, podcast. And uh, I'd like also to congratulate you on, on, on your program, The Decouple, that you've done a great uh, success by uh, bringing like-minded people and, and getting people excited about uh, the nuclear industry. Yeah, the seeds of this conversation, I think, were uh, actually the IEA ministerial event, um, which you attended. I think you met uh, a frequent guest of the podcast, Mark Nelson, there. Um, and you mentioned that you'd heard him speaking on the podcast. So uh, it's it's wonderful to hear all the places that we're listened to. Sometimes I check, you know, we're downloaded more than 100 countries around the world, but the UAE does pop up in that list. So uh, it's wonderful tying this whole nuclear community together around the world. Um, and a lot of eyes are on uh, the United Arab Emirates. Um, what uh, is being accomplished and has been accomplished um, with the, the build at the Baraka site um, is is truly remarkable and inspiring. Uh, particularly as we're really sensing a shift um, in, let's say, the the trade winds uh, blowing uh, in the sales of nuclear energy around the world. In my own country, big developments uh, happening. Um, and I think just globally, uh, as we're weathering this uh, energy crisis, um, nuclear is very much back on the table. So um, a lot of interest, my listeners have been clamoring for uh, some discussion of uh, of what has exactly occurred in the UAE. Um so, Mohammed, maybe you could take us back to to the early days. Um, this project, um, like any well executed project, had many many years of planning in it uh, before even the uh, the first shovels were were breaking soil. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the UAE in terms of its its energy needs? Um, and you know, what what was the planning that went into looking at what what some of the options might be for meeting some of the energy needs of of your growing uh, country and economy? Thank Chris for the introduction, and I'm very uh, again honored here to be uh, speaking to you about our, our our program here in the UAE, and also about the UAE as a nation. Uh, the planning was uh, kicked off and initiated in 2006. There was a lot of energy studies were done to find what are the best energy sources uh, for the nation to enable security of supply and at the same time do it in a sustainable manner. And that's where the multi-projects were kicked off. There was the renewable project were kicked off. The nuclear project was also kicked off. And fast forward to today, uh, we managed to do, uh, to kind of become a leader in the nuclear industry, I would say. And we managed to have four units uh, under construction and three units are, are operational as we speak. And that is a transformational change for the energy mix uh, in the UAE. So we have renewable energy, we have nuclear energy today, 
And that was done through a very deliberate, detailed planning uh, from the early days of the of those projects. And so, I mean, th- this was a, a major commitment. Um, I've heard, you know, the, the Emirates are known as well for uh, your wonderful airline uh, industry as well. But uh, in terms of a, a you know, capital expenditure, um, this is quite large, perhaps the, the largest uh, really in the history of the Emirates. Um, what, what drove that enthusiasm for, for nuclear energy after doing this, I guess, technologically agnostic assessment of, of how to meet the country's needs? Um, why, why did you end up deciding on nuclear? I think it's a simple economics and simple math. When you look at the uh, energy density of nuclear uh, power plants, it's a very dense energy. Another key aspect of nuclear, better than being also clean source of energy, it is safe, reliable and produces abundance of, of energy and, uh, and runs 24-7. And that's a very key when it comes to energy security, when it comes to energy uh, planners. Myself, as an electrical engineer, I, I, early in my career, I did network uh, evaluation, network studies, and did not lead the team. I was working as a team member at that time. I was a young engineer. And I always wanted a base load of electricity. I always wanted something that will keep the grid stable, and, and secure. And nuclear energy, nuclear power plants meet all of the above. It's clean, it is safe, it is reliable, and runs 24-7. And uh, the economics of it also is, is very good. And looking as today, we are enjoying a base load of three units, roughly around uh, uh, 30 terawatts uh, of our, uh, a year, by the way, of, of those uh, three units. We look for the fourth unit. We will have 40 terawatts of our electricity in a sustainable, clean manner. And that enables also to be able to put more other sources of energy, like renewable and others on the grid. So nuclear energy meets many parameters that uh, for any technical person or even a commercial person makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me a little bit about the choices that were made? Um, there were obviously a number of vendors um, that you looked at. I mean, a number of countries now, like Poland, for instance, are, are looking into uh, becoming nuclear nations. Um, and I'm sure your country as well uh, in this early process was investigating, okay, which, you know, now we've decided on nuclear, which which vendor are we going to go with? What, what were some of the um, factors that, that guided the choices that were ultimately made in terms of who you chose to go with? Chris, I agree. that's a great question, actually. Uh, looking back on, on the, our history of our project, and even today when I look at and co- engage with my colleagues in, in, um, in Romania and also in, in other like uh, Poland and Hungary and Czech, for me it's like a deja vu, deja vu like looking at 2008 and nine and kind of really living those moments of who will be the best vendor as of today, who will be the best supplier, who will be the best partner to be able to replicate and do this all over again. And I think there's a good potential of success stories. Today you have uh, the AP, uh, AP1400, you have also the AP1000, you have the uh, different technologies, which is were commissioned and operational. So if I advise somebody what will be the best vendor to pick, you need a vendor who did deliver in the, in the last at least five to 10 years. And you need a partner that could break, make those deals bankable deals, so they they could be financed by banks and just uh, than just by the government. And we've done that here in the UAE. We managed to structure a deal that is legally and commercially uh, bankable. We managed to, we managed to do it in a very good terms uh, for the 
purchaser of electricity at the same time also for the vendors and the partners. And if you look at the UAE today, we have the Koreans are partners in, in Baraka. Uh, they own around 18% of, this, of those power plants in Baraka. So that gives them also skin in the game of a win-win. And that's something also we've, we are very happy to have. And uh, today, I'd say uh, the world in a better position when to build nuclear power plants. Uh, that 2009 and eight, there was a lot of people who were competing to build nuclear power plants. I, mean, I can give you my personal uh, struggle at that time. I was, comp- I was, we were ranked like number 40 in a, in a pecking order of priorities projects. Then we were climbing up the ladder to become uh, in the top five projects for those vendors. I remember I used to talk to companies and where they will tell us we are not interested. We have other countries who want to build this um, and we, we, are, we are committed. And when the financial crisis happened, some of our projects were canceled. So we were kind of up the ladder. Then when we are, we are on our uh, competition globally in a very, I uh, use the world uh, military style of, of, of commitment of meeting the milestones and very rigorous, great project management capabilities in our team. And I'm very proud of our team's success at that, in that, in that endeavor. We managed to quickly to climb the ladder and we become the top two or even we became, we became the top project in the world at companies we're competing for. You mentioned countries. Everybody was competing for our projects. There was a lot of interest and appetite. And I remember around closing of the selection of the successful bidder, everybody wanted to be our partner. And initially also when we selected our partner, which is the Koreans, we've also kept everybody in, in, um, in, in a good part because we nuclear industry is small and you need everybody to help. So everybody is now still helping us in our success journey of uh, the four units. You mentioned this uh, sense of deja vu that you have looking at the world right now. Um, you're reminded, I think, of, of the position that you're in. Um, there's been many challenges uh, that have come up over the course of, of your project and completing it as, as you are um, essentially on schedule and on budget um, is all the more remarkable given that, as you mentioned, the global financial crisis struck, um, the, the Fukushima accident occurred, and most recently, uh, the, the COVID uh, pandemic um, maybe tell us a little bit about how each of those uh, crises affected the project um, and, and how you managed to just to sail through those stormy waters. Oh, okay. That's a, that would take a lot of Big time. Big question. To, to cover. <laughs> so I, I, I will summarize it. Uh, actually, I was reading a book on how to get big things done. And yes. it did strike me a very interesting book and goes back to the, if, you know, the Nobel Prize winner in psychology of thinking fast and slow. And that individual brings the analogy of uh, you have to plan slowly and, and execute fast. I would tell you, in, in going back to 2008, we did a lot of planning. I used to spend with the team hours and hours. We'll go come in the office early in the morning. We leave around 9 to 10 p.m. every night, including weekends, just to plan this thoroughly. And my one of my forte is project management. My master's degree actually in engineering management. So I enjoy doing work breakdown structures and doing detailed WS where the team kind of get worn out until they get to the bottom of those double in work breakdown structures. I enjoy that. So that deliberate detailed planning we did did really pay dividends. And we we've done it in a very thorough manner. Anyway, we do make we do mega projects, by the way, oil and gas and other industries. We do gigantic projects here in the in the UAE. And as you rightly said, the nuclear project was the biggest commercial project or industrial project in the UAE history. But we are used to big projects. 
So that deliberate planning helped us a lot to mitigate a lot of risks. So we always kind of planned in details for, I won't say black swans, but like COVID, but we always planned for what could be the worst scenarios and what our mitigants. So everything we did, we had three to four to four scenarios as backup plans. I'm always plan B, guaranteed fails. So we had always plan, sorry, plan A fails and plan B is always there. So you have always a, a mixture between the, the plans that we've, we put together, we, we, we've succeeded on. So I contribute deliberate planning. And what we did also, Chris, a very thorough selection and bringing people from all over the world to come and help us in the project. So any niche area of expertise we needed, we tapped into the expertise globally. Even project management, we went to the best project managers in the world. Um, I'm a member of PMI, which is the Project Management Institute for the last, uh, I would say, 20 years now. And and we've also I've engaged with my, my my colleagues there to help us in the project planning phase. In the nuclear industry, we I remember in the early days, we just signed a contract to do the construction. And by that time, I've already hired the CNO in that project. And I've hired the CNO and told them, your job is not to operate the power plant. The power plant will be ready in 12 years from today. Your job is to plan the manpower, what kind of a plant manager we will need, what kind of a QS program and a QA program we need to establish, what kind of management system we need to we need to have. So I was asking him, look at 10 years, this is the end state of things look like. Now draw me a line how we will get there from today. I remember the guy was frustrated with me, but uh, and we've we had uh, we had a couple of CNOs in that last 10 years, but uh, each one of them did a fantastic job and helping us in the thorough planning and imagining the next phases. And what I bring, what I'm really proud of is the human capital that we managed to develop and, and develop over the, uh, over the years. We managed to bring the best talent from over the world. We had also the young, ta- very young and very talented people uh, from, the, from the UAE and also from all over the world who did get groomed and, and developed. And uh, looking at the UAE in 2009, we had uh, almost no nuclear engineers in the country. We didn't have much of expertise in, the, in this field. So for the young people, we send them for scholarships. They went to U.S., in Georgia Tech, Penn State, uh, other schools to learn the, uh, the, the bachelor degree. And, and some of them did master degrees and also PhDs in the nuclear science. And then now when they come back, they easily kind of plug in and, and, and they are easy to or it's easy to fit in the environment of the nuclear industry in the UAE because they got already the basic training. They land in an environment where they can rub shoulders with experts and grow very fast and become qualified. I can share a story with you, Chris, on Unit 2, by the way. It went critical by one of the young Emirati engineers. who was She was trained in Westinghouse in the US. She was trained also in Korea. She did also plant, uh, live plant kind of a training. She did the 12 hours in the middle of the night, 12 hours of the day. She got groomed and qualified to become uh, a senior uh, reactor operator. And, and she did a fantastic job taking unit two critical. And that's something which is also makes me very proud. So would you agree then that, that human factors, I mean, there's so many challenges to pulling off a project like this and, and going from a nation without a nuclear program to, to a nation operating for um, of, of some of the largest reactors in the world. Um, it, it sounds like human factors are such a huge part of that. And it'd be interesting to hear, um, you've given us the example of, uh, of the, the, the woman that brought um, the unit two to criticality. How, what's been the impact throughout Emirati society? People talk a lot about nuclear 
um, in the way that it elevates people um, in terms of you know human capacity, in terms of their level of education, be that um, within nuclear engineering or within the skilled trades. What sort of opportunities um, has uh, the Baraka complex opened up for uh, within Emirati society? Yeah. So if I can just give you a bit of background about the UAE before I talk about the, the, the talent. So UAE has around 200 nationalities, by the way, people living here in the UAE in a very successful uh, environment. We encourage talent to come to the UAE. We actually reward talent uh, to come and, and join the uh, workforce here in the UAE. And nuclear is not as special. It is also it's, it's very welcoming to bring talent to the UAE. So we've managed to bring the best talent in the world to the UAE. We continue to bring tal- high talent, uh, top talent to the UAE, the nuclear industry. What it opened for specifically for the young people here in the UAE is the industry where you can add real value. You can, you know, nuclear power plants, as you know, is a very low density energy. So each individual can bring megawatts of electricity, contribute to the clean electricity to their nation. So that pride factor on those people that uh, I'm very proud to work with them as a colleague, uh, very, very proud. They see the contribution to, to net zero by 2050 by their work by their contribution in the, in the, in the, in the, in the power plant op- operation room and the, the, lo- lo- the local operators in the field, even the construction team who did the projects, they're very, very proud. So if I can take this and give you their, what their family members think of them, what the nation think of those people, they, everybody is, is, is very proud of the contribution they are doing. And the pride goes because the UAE and the uh, public here in the UAE are very aware of the benefits, benefit of nuclear. If you do a survey uh, in the UAE, we've done the surveys over the last 10 years, and we've seen a constant acceptance level of nuclear industry. We rank the UAE public acceptance around 80 plus percent of, uh, of nuclear industry, which is, I think, maybe the highest in the world today. And that didn't come from uh, of just like, you know, by, by a product. It came because we did a lot of investment in educating people about the technical aspects, and the safety of the nuclear industry. Uh, in 2008 and 9, when we surveyed uh, what's the public opinion of nuclear, came as a standard number of around 62 to 65% of public opinion. When you go and ask them, are you, and I enjoy that question, I'll ask them, do you know that we can make from nuclear, we can make power plants, make electricity? And I would say 90% people who didn't know about it. So when you talk about that, it's, no, it's for civilian purposes, and it will help the nation to grow and prosper and provide clean electricity. And these are a lot of, of, of facts we got uh, kind of a push to the public. You mentioned the, uh, the, 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 the Fukushima. That was an opportunity for us. People were, were wanted to know what's happening, and they, had, they wanted to understand radiation between alpha, beta, gamma, and, and, and what are we in our homes and all that. And I don't know if you remember the all the stories of non-science, non-scientific basis, uh, stories were going all over the world. And the UAE people were much more aware. They knew about radiation. They knew about the, the basic physics of it. So it, it gave a bigger boost of, of interest. Even in the Arabic media, we've worked with the IEA uh, and we've taken some of the Arabic content, translated some of the Arabic content, content and pushed and, and we gave it for free in the social media. There's a lot of interest at that moment were paid dividends by educating people. And that's something, sometimes when, when people talk about nuclear industry, that kind of, I feel uh, not that easy, I would say, when people don't understand the physics and they talk about nuclear industry. 
when they don't understand the science behind, and also they come and they claim to to understand it, and they 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 give numbers and facts. And when you go and dig those numbers and analyze them, and they are not based on science, based on feelings, on fears, on speculations, and sometimes of the things go viral in social media, and people pick on it and become an expert in those fields. And that's something I think uh, nuclear industry still suffers from that because of uh, of the lack of, of facts about industry. It's interesting. I, I was moved back to this, this fact uh, in terms of attitudes in France, which is, you know, nation powered 75% by, by nuclear energy and the young people there. Um, many of them believe that what comes out of the cooling towers is, is actually carbon or smoke. Um, and it correlates the, the age cutoff at which that, that belief becomes predominant correlates with the September 11th attacks and the uh, high schoolers no longer touring nuclear plants and no longer being educated in this way. Um, in uh, UAE, is there the opportunity for Emiratis to to see the plant, to tour it? Um, how do you kind of open up um, the technology and make it accessible to people? Um, it sounds like that was a big part of the efforts um, right from the beginning of the process. Yeah, Chris, that's uh, that's actually a great point. Thank you for raising it. I would I would say, as you need to be a power plant, you cannot have tours in them because of, of of security and also convenience. We don't want to bother the operators and and the, and the crew working in the power plant. But what we do is. We do virtual tours. We use the technology available. Uh, people can wear their goggles and walk in the power plant. We do take this to schools, by the way. We have uh, over 50 to 60 events per uh, per year. We reach out to the teachers. We reach out to the schools to educate them. We do public forums, open, very open public forums. And we talk very transparently about what's happening in the industry globally, what's happening in the power plant. We do share a lot of, of, of our data and our regulator posts everything on their website because there is a lot of data that getting, uh, that got given to the people. We are overdoing it, I would say, to encourage people to know about the industry. We're overdoing it uh, to also get people to uh, understand how this technology works. And there is great interest. And I, if I can go back, the pride of, of the young people and the pride of people of, of the nation on, on this advanced technology and making them interested also in STEM. It work, it, it gives us dividends all over, uh, many, many, many angles. One thing, by the way, also in the UAE, very people are, are we have a great, uh, we have a big pro- we have a very nice problem, by the way. We have more uh, women invested, interested in STEM education than the, than the, than the men. Almost seven to one, which is a nice problem to have. I have four, four daughters, so I'm very happy for them too enjoy STEM or join the STEM curriculum. And this nuclear industry provides those jobs for them. Nuclear power plants, when it comes to operation of nuclear power plants, as you know, these power plants are very clean and, and also very convenient to work on, uh, almost like you're walking in an in a as clean as hospital when it comes to, yeah. to those power plants. And that also makes this, those jobs are uh, convenient for, uh, for men and women. And that's something also, uh, it's, we were the first, industry to attract women to, you know, to work in the nuclear power plants. We were also, by the way, we hosted the first woman uh, women in nuclear conference in the Middle East ever. And I was very proud to, to be to hosting that. We had over uh, 300 international guests came. We had a, a total of around 700 people came and, and, and learned from the women nuclear industry and the leaders of nuclear industry that got also the young women we have here in the, in the power plant to inspire to be CEOs and CNOs and plant managers, which is for me, uh, is a great, a great opportunity to see because 
it opens uh, the doors for them to become leaders in this industry. And nuclear industry, frankly, needs more women in the senior posts and senior positions because they always instill a kind of a, a leadership level uh, standards of, of caring and a standard of the development of, of the younger uh, of younger generation, the younger colleagues, which is I'm very, very proud to say, as I mentioned earlier, the reactor, uh, second reactor went critical by one of the young Emiratis, women Emiratis. And the ratio we have today in women in nuclear industry, we have the highest ratio, by the way, plus to 20% plus compared to the US and Canada and Europe and, and Asia. And we are very proud of that. You're putting us to shame, my friend. You're putting us to shame. Uh, but that, that's very interesting. So, I mean, was this uh, like this decision the result of enlightened leadership? Is this a broader um, impulse within Emirati society? Is this something unique to nuclear? I, I don't. I mean, certainly, there's lots of efforts you see, as you're mentioning, with women in nuclear throughout the world to increase the participation of women. But I'm curious where where exactly that comes from in the Emirates that you've achieved such such good results. It. it I think that all the points you mentioned. Uh, they are all of the above. I will start with leadership. Today in the in the nation here in the UAE, the leadership uh, in uh, empowering women in, in multiple, uh, uh, we have the, uh, I think one of the highest ratios also of ministers of women ministers. We have uh, a minister of youth and she is in her 20s and she became the minister of, uh, of the youth to encourage both boys and girls to become qualified and, and inspired, inspired to be le- leaders in their industries. And she visited Baraka, and she was also a role model for one of uh, some of the young uh, engineers, boys and girls. We have, we have the leadership of the nation, very empowering of, of women, and and also for me now having four girls, uh, I'm also very interested to see them become successful in this industry. And I, we are uh, we are taking these opportunities of developing the uh, women and also men in the industry equally, so they can become successful and generate a huge interest and a huge uh, uh, buy-in for the younger generation for this uh, great industry that will be there for the next 60 years. So, you know, beyond just making power, obviously there's a lot of companies, and you mentioned a lot of collaboration internationally. I know um, I've seen Canada's SNC-Lavalin is is involved in, in assisting with some of the engineering work, Um, But I gather there's a number of uh, Emirati enterprises that are that are coming into being to support the activities at the plant. And I heard even potentially to um, help supply maybe cabling or other supplies. These are just rumors I've heard to to other builds and other places around the world. Is that is that something that's beginning to happen? Yeah, that's true. We are supplying some other nations. And if I can take you back, uh, Chris, when we did this tender on the market, we wanted we didn't want to. We don't want the. Techn- we don't want the technologies here. We don't want to build reactors in the country. Uh, we want to use these technologies and find whatever we can develop within the UAE to help other nations to to also benefit from. I have two examples. One of them you mentioned, a company called Docap. We managed to qualify them and help them through the qualification process of the Q class, and they became successful and they supplied to Baraka. Now they're supplying also internationally. Another company called Emirates Steel. And that company also, we invested. We put our staff, the I think the staff I mentioned earlier uh, that we developed early in the project, we they were uh, came in early in the job on the QS and quality and QA, and they, they developed our quality management system. I did second some of them to other vendors like Emirates Steel. They did spend their six months in their offices, helping them to qualify their steel to become Q-class supplier. 
and they supplied baraka with the with the steel and today they pride themselves actually that they have they have they are qualified for nuclear power plants means they are qualified qualified for a very high grade uh, steel and that's something also gave them access to other markets uh, globally and also regionally because they they have a very high quality steel so the knock on effect of this nuclear industry that got introduced in the UAE it got uh, the UAE from a legislation uh, and, and kind of an, and, and introduced better legislations it helped us also as a nation and our export control because now you have material to account for and, and material to 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 supervise empower establish a very strong regulator that also regulates nuclear healthcare and other sectors and that's something which is now then the country benefiting from because you have a stronger regulator that qualifies people across industries and and also regulate nuclear safety and export control even in our uh, other sub ancillary industries the kind of a services for the baraka plant we are in the middle of outage right now for unit 2 and that brings a lot of companies local companies to come and work on this power plant and service it so it's upgrading the industries for the oil and gas, for other industries. And this is something you don't see the benefit immediately. You see the benefit over a decade because it, 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 it develops a highly skilled labor that they have a better quality control, quality surveillance, and they have a mindset of nuclear safety. If, uh, when, you know, if I could put my hat of one presidency, we always want to make nuclear industry kind of a unified and standardized way and the excellence journey. The excellence journey means every area of improvement you can develop, you invest on that. You never get satisfied with the status quo. You always constantly evolve and improve when it comes to quality standards for people, for process, for programs in a systematic way. And this is something I think the UAE is now benefiting from across sectors and across pollination for other sectors. I want to pivot um, from speaking about this recent past uh, into the, the near and far future. Uh, before we do, um, you, you decided on four uh, large nuclear reactors, the APR 1400s. Um, I heard another rumor, I think it's been substantiated, but that the site has been prepared with you know, water intake and outtake to potentially allow for more units to be added. First off, you know, why did you decide on um, the number of four units? Um, and looking into the future, based on the success, um, are there plans to, to do more nuclear uh, in the UAE, to add more units there or to do another station? That's another uh, good question, Chris. And I like you. Uh, I like your podcast because you do your homework. So I'm glad you, <laughs> you you've studied that. So so if I can take you back also in our planning uh, here in the UAE, when we plan things, we plan it for long term. We don't plan short term. So we do mega planning, and I mentioned this earlier. We do a very thorough, very detailed planning. We do projects in a mega and mega well, very well structured. You mentioned the airline, and we have also oil, oil and gas. We have also renewable. All of it, we do it in a, in a kind of a, in a grandiose planning and, and a visionary. And that, that goes back to our leadership of the nation. They always push us to be number one in whatever we do. And that's why we've taken the approach in the nuclear industry. So when we did the Baraka planning, the site, we did design actually for eight units of one, one gigawatt plus kind of a reactor. And what we did also, all the water intakes and also discharge channels for the water, for the cooling, was already been pre-installed at, at Baraka. And we did the math. If we installed them at that time, it would cost us around 100 million, 120 million dollars. And if we do it, once we finish commission unit one, 
it's going to cost us a billion later. So let's invest a million, 100 billion now, then a billion later. And we we knew that nuclear clean electricity will be in higher demand down the road. And that's why we invested on those uh, in this mega project. Why four, not, not two? We did also a benchmark globally. If you build four units, uh, if you build two units, the program becomes anemic, meaning, meaning that the industry becomes small, the cash flow is not enough to entice education and industry and get enough momentum for the nation to have a sustainable growth. Four units were the kind of a, the, the kind of a threshold of a good program that will be successful and we will finance itself for, for a long time. And that's why we've gone with four. And I, I'm seeing the dividends today of that benefit. We have enough cash flow for the industry to continue to grow in a sustainable manner. And if, we, if we're going to build more, and what I've seen today with the energy prices, with the demand also for clean electricity to help industries to grow and, and prosper, definitely uh, some more units will be built in the near future. Even we, this morning, I was in a session uh, doing a, a futuristic planning for the 2050 and how we achieve net zero in an accelerated way. And that also shows more clean electricity to be introduced in the sector. Or as, as we do in the UAE, we do multiple scenarios and we always go with the scenarios that pay the highest dividends for us. And that's something we will continue to do. And if I can also uh, uh, cover another point, Chris, the benefit of building four units in a, in a kind of a consecutive manner also paid a lot of dividends for us. I've seen the benefit when we did the first one, it was a, a challenging one. The second was easier. The third was easier. And the fourth was easier. If I can give you also a bulk, a bulk number of the productivity of labor between the first two and the, like one and two or three and four, the labor was almost 50% less, 50%. So it means that the three and four unit were dramatically uh, cheaper to build, were easier to build, and was uh, was also done in a very sweet spot where you could easily roll over the manpower from unit one to two, three to four. And there was a, a beautiful kind of a, a rolling wave, I would say, of this talent. The people who did the initial construction in unit one, they finished, they go to unit two, they finish, they go to unit three, then you go to unit four. Electrical work, they also, they finish this, you go to this. And for them, it's becoming a, a replication of the same work they've been doing. So it reduces the rework and redu- improves the quality of the work. Now, was part of the planning and, and the thinking we've done, that plan A worked in that, in that, in that scenario because, you know, the, this talent, this institutional knowledge that you, you develop over years worked for us on those uh, units. If they were two, I think we will we'll go to the tail end and we'll just we'll lose the benefit. But building four, it did uh, pay dividends in, in, in many aspects. Right, right. No, I, what I'm struck by in this conversation is, is your emphasis on planning. Um, and I'm hopeful that, that these lessons and that the models that are present in the UAE to do such systematic uh, planning can be replicated around the world. Certainly, that's, that's some of my fear. Um, looking around the West right now, sometimes societies where there's you know, a lot of polarized politics and um, you know, lots of changes happening every electoral cycle that that don't allow this long term planning uh, to take place. But it's interesting you you referenced the book uh, "How Big Things Get Done" by Professor Bent Fleeberg. Um, we uh, uh, actually covered that book, and I interviewed one of the authors um, for the podcast. And you know, it was it was a very interesting book, um, but it was uh, quite quite bearish on nuclear. He sort of wrote off the entire technology, and I thought it was such a missed opportunity because. 
uh, nuclear presents this opportunity, yes, to have, you know, big fat tails and go way, you know, beyond budget and schedule, but also, um, you know, an, an opportunity to really study at this phenomenon of something that can, you know, have troubles, but something that can be done so well. And I thought there was a missed opportunity there that, you know, ideally, maybe there's another edition and, and they'll tell the story uh, uh, of the UAE and of, of Barakan have a more sophisticated analysis towards nuclear. But just, you know, emphasizing this this planning element some more. Do you, do you have any other pearls? I know that there's things that will be relevant just to the UAE, maybe parts of that model that aren't exportable. But, you know, talking to brother nations um, like Poland, for instance, uh, other newcomers to nuclear, um, if you had sort of, you know, top three bits of advice regarding planning, what, what would those be in speaking to those brother countries? First of all, reading the book of uh, how to get things done, <laughs> big, thing, big things done. That's a, that's a good a good reference point. And uh, and what I would advise is is to do a, a proper planning when it comes to uh, polit- politics. is is difficult to plan for. I I cannot go there, and and I always enjoy my engineering background. I like to think of things black and white sometimes, but <laughs> nuclear industry is also sometimes controversial. So having a clear policy particularly speaking here, that withstand whether the, 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 the time and, and, and change of, of people and interest. So UAE had initially published a policy paper and actually was published by Zahir Sheikh Abdullah, the Minister of Foreign Affairs at that time, and was publicly uh, published in a press conference in April 2008. I remember the date because was very clear and, and very important point that did explain the role an interest of the UAE, we are interested to use the civilian nuclear industry to power our nation and benefit from a clean, safe, reliable source of electricity. So that's a, a must for anybody who want to develop the nuclear program to, to, to enjoy the clean and reliable electricity. Second comes the infrastructure planning. And you have to do a very thorough planning, looking at the level of maturity. And if I can go back also in the UAE, 2008, we didn't have a regulator. We didn't have a qualified force in the UAE to work in the nuclear industry. We didn't have the legislations in the nation here to be able to uh, to bring the material here, to do the export control, to do this in a systematic and have the infrastructure to handle uh, such facilities and, and support them to become successful. So we did a very thorough gap analysis. This is where we have, and this is the areas we, we, we need to grow, need to develop and educate and, and put the legislations. And we covered a very detailed work breakdown structure from legislation, law, regulation, human capital development, and across the whole spectrum. We call it level zero. Then we broke down that in detail and what we should have. Then we rolled that in a schedule by 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, how things should look like. Then we worked backward on what we should, how we should do it. So we developed a roadmap of 400 pages plus. And that roadmap has a couple of thousands of tasks, <laughs> rolled over up to hundred and up to 20, 20, 2085. So uh, with the detailed tasks, so how we would even achieve decommissioning and and restart and kind of pretend the site as as was when we took it over. So that detailed planning is very very important, and also an overlook of what should we uh, mitigate from a risks point of view. Nuclear projects, mega projects, run over a decade to to construct, and you have to have those scenario planning done in a very detailed manner. And the last advice I would say 
as the UAE, you know, we are interested to go and help other nations uh, to develop their programs. We are looking at Eastern Europe, we are looking at UK to go and also invest on those uh, business opportunities. So we would love to uh, touch base whomever interested to help them in the early days of the project from siting of the nuclear site to the early construction work, to the construction license, all the way to uh, construction, uh, preparation for operation, testing, commissioning, all the way to operation. So we have this bouquet uh, uh, of, of services we can provide. We could share them uh, pro bono and we could, we could also do them for business opportunities because also we need to make some money and help others uh, to become successful. No, I think that's that's fascinating. And, you know, when you talked about, um, you know, making a decision on vendors, um, you went with, um, you know, a country and a program that's very credible. The Koreans, uh, you know, have been building those reactors quickly. Um, they've really demonstrated the ability to to build the exact type of reactor that they assisted you with in building your in your country. And now it seems like you have the credibility as a, as a new nuclear country to offer some of the experiences that you've gathered uh, in this planning process, which, again, I don't think either of us can emphasize enough. Uh, the importance of of getting that planning right, of planning slow and building fast. Let's let's pivot now uh, to talk about the near future. Um, and I'm excited uh, to be coming to your country. Uh, I believe end of November, uh, early December for the COP28 uh, climate conference, which uh, the UAE will be hosting. Um, I think we missed each other by a few days in Egypt. Unfortunately, um, it was interesting, you know, touring all of the country pavilions in this you know World Fair type environment. Um, and, you know, to my great shame at my country, there was no mention of, of nuclear, despite, uh, you know, our beloved candy reactor and, and uh, the, the amazing role that, that we've had uh, with nuclear domestically and internationally. Uh, but there were some countries that showcased nuclear and, and the UAE was one of them. Um, what are you anticipating for COP28? Is nuclear going to be a theme that, um, that you're going to be eager to, to talk about? Um, you know, this is, uh, from my understanding, the largest clean energy project uh, in the Middle East. Uh, at Baraka. Uh, tell me your thoughts about COP28. So uh, COP is a, is a great opportunity to be able to uh, engage and, and showcase the uh, success story that we had here in the UAE. But what I've seen right now is a great interest in nuclear industry globally. I've attended the COP in Glasgow and also in Sharm el-Sheikh, and I've seen a very positive trend on the nuclear industry and a very positive uh, welcoming of the nuclear industry to be part of the solution. And also I'm seeing a, reala- a realization that net zero uh, by 2050 is impossible without nuclear being part of the mix. And that's something uh, people are realizing it. Even the political, uh, at, at political level, I've seen in Europe and other parts of the world, people want to have and engage in the nuclear industry in a very systematic, I would say, and a scientific manner, which is, I see it as an opportunity to showcase the success stories. UAE today, uh, I would say humbly to say, it's been a, a great success story. If I can share a story, we, you mentioned uh, the Korean kind of a success story. I remember in 2008, I've attended a workshop by the IEA. It's called the Milestone Document Workshop. And we were given the Korean experience. We were given other nations' experiences to, to learn from. And there's a 19 areas of infrastructure you need to qualify and benchmark against. And that was the foundation for our roadmap and our work breakdown structure that we took and we adopted in the UAE. And I was sitting in the back, one of the kind of, uh, in, in, the, in the back of the audience, and I was asking a lot of questions. And that's when, at that time, we were ranked number 40 in the world. We were, <laughs> we were now thinking about tendering. 
And, and I had some rudimentary questions about the nuclear industry. And up to date to say I'm very proud. We have around 3,500 employees. And we get asked very often today by the IEA to come and present our case. So we are becoming their success story globally. And they want people to come and listen to our success story. I'm also very proud to say uh, of our engineers, they go and showcase and, and share their experience, their lessons learned, how they overcome some of the challenges, how, they, how we were successful in, in many areas from uh, radioactive uh, radio, uh, radioactive management, from radiation management, all the way to maintenance, all the way to safety, all the way to nuclear fuel design, fuel de- design reviews. So we managed to develop our capabilities. Now we are sharing those capabilities to the IEA. Now when we go up to, to COP28, my vision is to see how we can bring nations to bring the facts and the science and the bankable projects to fruition. I think we have an opportunity to share the UAE success story. Canada is also embarking on the small reactors and small modular reactors. And they have, also Canada has a great technologies that can do reactors. There's a lot of uh, appetite globally today. And COP28 here in the UAE in Dubai will be uh, big. This morning, I was in a workshop at, there, at, the, at the COP, and we are doing some preliminary activities there. We had uh, a green summit discussion within the, within the government, and that was done in the, the heart center of that where the, the COP will happen. And there's preparation work happening to, to kind of launch the pre-launch, also some of the activities leading up to COP. And I do invite all, all countries, all nations to participate and also encourage nations who have been benefiting from this technology, like your, like Canada and others, to showcase their capabilities, to showcase their success stories, to also put the facts and the science out there for people to come and look at and, and understand the technologies. Candu is a great technology. PWR is also great technology. BWR great technologies. Also some of the advanced reactors today, the, uh, some of the new scale, X-Energy, TerraPower, all of them also coming to showcase their capabilities. I'm also working with the IEA, WNA, and EI to see how we can collaborate and bring companies to come in the green zone and nations also in the blue zone so they can explain the success stories. I also here in the UAE will have a theme for young people and, and sustainability for the future. And also I'm sure there will be good dialogues and good discussion on the nuclear industry. This morning I was asked very I would say tough questions about safety of nuclear power plant, waste management, and, and how nuclear power plants work and how they can prosper and how they can contribute to net zero. And I was, I was uh, very interested, interested to, to listen to the young people. But when I gave them the facts and the numbers, I think some of them kind of a, had a reset button. I would say some you know, kind of a, a bulb just went on top of their heads. One individual was pushing, let's put uh, uh, rooftop panels of, uh, on top of houses with solar, pla- with solar panels and we will be able to solve the, the energy uh, crisis. And, I, and I was, when I put the numbers to them uh, that when it comes to energy density, when it comes to how much you could produce from a, a, a panel on a roof, uh, roof of a house and how much you could generate equivalent from a few grams of, of uranium in any reactor and how much energy can produces. And they, they, were, they were very interested. So most of them are 
from the STEM uh, background, so they were able to do, they do algebra and do the calculation in their minds and immediately kind of come up with the numbers. And I remember we were discussing with uh, was discussing with that young individual. He says, "Okay, that's like you know, bring a small sledgehammer to do, into kind of a go and 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 bring a mountain down." From yep, that's about it. You know, that's that's the solar panel compared to any other power plant. So uh, these analogies, I think, goes a long way with the, with the young generation. And I think we have a golden opportunity today. To be very honest, I'm, I'm technology I'm technology agnostic, so I'm, I like all technologies. It's good to look at the technical aspects, then you layer it with the commercial aspects, so you do the economics of it, and then you put whatever will work for each nation, because each country has its own unique uh, pros and cons and benefits and limitations and all that. And what what we did here in the UAE to make four units bankable and to be financed also by private banks, that's never been done anywhere. And uh, that's something we can bring to the table, we can bring to the discussion, we can also help other nations uh, to to be able to replicate that. We have the legal infrastructure, we have the capabilities and know-how. And I would love to to talk more to, to companies and countries to explain to them our success story at, at COP28. And I, I would share also, if I may, a short story. I was at the Sierra Week uh, weeks ago, and I met with some of the banks and with some also a smaller group, people are new, new people are interested in the nuclear industry, the chemical industries and, and other industries. They want steam, hot steam. They want, uh, uh, some of them want uh, uh, to enable hydrogen and also process of chemicals. They need 600 degrees of Celsius of, of temperature. And I was explaining to them the success story we have in the UAE. And to my surprise, some of the countries of the big banks, they didn't know about what's happening in the UAE here. So you guys have nuclear power plants? And I said, yeah, three of them are operational, by the way. And, and that's, I feel, I feel we need to do more. And I see the COP as an opportunity for us to do more there and, and educate the public and the, the international community about what we've done in the UAE and the, and the benefit we can bring to board to help other nations, but also put the solutions on the table for people to make their own choices of what will work for their countries to be able to meet the net zero by 2050. And, and the UAE today, we are an accelerator. If I can share with your audience the quick, quick numbers, um, the, the four units that we will have operational soon, they will provide around 40 terawatts of electricity, terawatt hour electricity annually. We will avoid over 21 million, 22 million tons of CO2 emissions annually. And that's a huge. To put this in the, to, the, to the listeners in perspective, that's equivalent to around 4.2 million cars by the, by the codes of, I think, 2016 or so, the standards of car emissions. In the UAE, we have around 3 million cars, roughly 3, 3.1 uh, million cars in the UAE. And that will remove around 4.2 million cars. So that's a huge, even the transportation carbon emissions will be eliminated by the units. So, and, and another aspect also where we see the value of those units, it's enabling us also as a, as a nation, as of today, because of the energy crisis in Europe, to be able to dispatch more gas to Europe, help them through this crisis. So we will not be able to do that without those four units being operational in the UAE. So they bring a lot of benefits in, in the UAE. And one other point we didn't talk about, uh, Chris, which is, we managed here in the UAE 
to generate green certificates uh, through an independent government agency or accounting system to sell this green certificate. So the biggest companies in the country, uh, our oil and gas company called ADNO, came and bought majority of the of the electricity generated by those units, and they're paying a premium for for the for this electricity they are consuming from the nuclear power plant. And this has enabled them to stamp their products being produced from a, a cleaner sources of electricity. Another company called Emirates Global Aluminum, it's called E, abbreviated as EGA, they are one of the key suppliers of aluminum, clean aluminum, aluminum to BMW. And majority of the electric BMW now aluminum comes from here, from, from UAE, through a clean electricity. So these products and these opportunities won't be there if we didn't have this investment in nuclear power plant and also renewable. And we are very happy to see the dividends and enjoy the dividends of these uh, investments. If I can take you again back on the planning phase of 2008 and 2009, that was income paper. And for me, I was thinking about it, working very hard day and night to, to achieve this target and to achieve this goal. But today I'm sitting here in my seat. We're generating clean electricity. We are enjoying also the cash flow to the bank. It's, it's counting as this counter uh, much faster than the than when we have in our time counter here. So good, good, good revenues. And it's happening. It's real. It's, it's, uh, it's bankable. It is saving the environment. We are, we are providing a clean electricity for the nation. And this light you see behind me here is, is now, as we speak right now, around 40% of it's powered by nuclear power plants from Baraka. A month ago, it was 80% because we have lower winter of demand in, in, in winter because of uh, lower uh, AC demand, air conditioning demand. It was 80%. And for me, it's, I'm, I'm very proud uh, to be part of this uh, journey and to be very proud of the young uh, people we have, the 3,500 people we have at Baraka, strong people, very capable, very competent. And this is the beginning, only the beginning. Looking at the future, Chris, I do see our involvement in SMR. I do see our involvement in hydrogen production here in the UAE. I see the opportunity we can provide higher temperature steam to, uh, to the chemical industry, to the other industries that are very interested to provide, to be uh, using clean electricity. And also I see the future of us helping other nations, investing in other countries by our talent and helping other nations become successful in this uh, journey of decarbonizing the uh, energy sector through the atom. I think that's a, a wonderful place to leave it, uh, Mohammed. Um, you must wake up sometimes and have to pinch yourself just, you know, having walked through this process um, through a large part of your career, again, from ink on paper to uh, turning on the lights and, and those lights being powered by these power plants that you've been uh, so intrinsically involved in uh, in stewarding along uh, into this world. So um, thank you for, for that. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Um, again, there's been an enormous amount of interest in the UAE. Um, I do hope to uh, have the honor of meeting you um, at uh, at COP28 and uh, hopefully getting to uh, to tour this plant at some point as well. So uh, thank you for for uh, coming on again during Ramadan, Ramadan uh, Kareem, my friend. And uh, hopefully we will uh, have you on again at some point in the future. Thank you, Chris. And I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I look forward to hosting you here in, in the UAE. And also to your to our listeners here in your podcast, I also invite you to come and, and cop to COP28 here in the UAE. You'll enjoy it. It's a very welcoming nation. 
we love people to come and and and, and visit our nation, try enjoy our culture, and uh, and enjoy the intellectual discussion that will be happening from now until COP28 and beyond COP28. And I hope, uh, not hope, I'm confident that we will be able to meet the climate change challenge and we will be able to accelerate our journey and our pro- our programs toward net zero by 2050. And the UAE is doing that in a very serious and a very ambitious manner. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, like, and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Until next time, guys.